hey, it's Jay, and this is Unthinkable, or it will be. If you missed my last update here, I'm planning to bring back the show consistently, something I haven't done in over a year. Today is one of several episodes I wanted to bring back from the archives that speak to the soul of the group, the soul of what you and I do for our work, and also what we're trying to achieve with the reignition of this show. We're going to explore one fundamental shift to view and execute creative work that I think will unleash our best, whether we're struggling to start, we feel like we're plateauing, or we just feel like we're up against the odds of all the shouters and the noise out there. That shift is to stop acting like experts and start acting like explorers. So we're going to share the stories of idea explorers, these people who ask questions and go on a journey to find answers, creating all the while. So in anticipation of new episodes, I'm going to re-air a few older episodes that embody this idea. These are truly some idea explorers. And today's idea explorer is Tim Urban, the creator of the blog, Wait But Why, and also the most watched TED Talk on YouTube, among other things. This episode was originally titled Break the Wheel, and it also helped launch my book of the same name. On a scale of 0 to 10, how badly do you aspire to be a 5? Okay, uh, not at all, right? Well, think about why. Because 5 is average, and nobody aspires to be average. But in this information age or digital age, whatever you want to call it, today, it's just so easy for us to do average work. Whether we measure the growth and return on investment of that work, or we simply seek satisfaction. It's just so easy for us to wind up doing what feels like a 5 out of our 10. Say we wanted to uh, capitalize on a big trend in your industry. Something like podcasting, if you're in marketing. Well, if you want to do that, you can go to YouTube and find millions of tutorials telling you exactly what you need to do, and you can find those things in under a second. Again, in this era, if we want to do anything, we can immediately find some best practices from videos to blog posts, podcasts to books, legendary thinkers to new gurus on the block. Our world is flooding with advice. Advice that we can access in an instant. But so can everybody else. And so too much of our work copies. It blends in. And worse, we think it's as straightforward as following a list of steps from some expert to make what matters. So we remove the self. We're so obsessed with having the answer instead of learning how to find our own. My point is this. It has never been easier to be average. So whose fault is this? Is it our favorite experts? Is it the hucksters out there that that try to masquerade as helpers but really just want to get rich and famous? Is it our bosses or clients or teammates or some hidden forces of an industry or community that we're in? No, uh, I don't blame any of that stuff. I blame a little creature that lives in each of our heads, the instant gratification monkey. Today, a story and a battle. A story about an eye-opening creative success that flies in the face of conventional thinking. And a battle that every single one of us faces when we aspire to make what matters. It's funny, but it's kind of not, because it's way too real. 
keep it going. It's unthinkable. Stories of people challenging the convention to make what matters most. I'm Jay Akunzo. Get down. Get down. Oh, okay, come on. Did no, turn that off. Skydiving. Oh, okay. Wentz this game. <laughs> Give me my phone back. What can you tell us Is that a beer at 3 p.m.? What are you doing? Uh, enough. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, I think I have my instant gratification monkey under control for now. Uh, and while he's locked away, let me take this opportunity to tell you about the person who came up with this little guy, this terrible little creature. His name is Tim Urban. He's a blogger with a very visual, metaphorical way of thinking. The more I learn about life, the more I think that there's not, we're not, everyone's unique, yes, but like, we're, we're all a little bit like photocopies of, of lots and lots of other people. So like, in terms of, you know, any one characteristic of yours, there are 100,000 other people that, are, that have the exact same characteristics. So I basically imagine that I'm writing for like a stadium of Tims, uh, people exactly like me. Uh, and I just know that if I do exactly, if there's something I wish that someone would send me, I know there's a lot of other people. Maybe it's not my friends. Maybe it's, maybe I'm the only weirdo in my own life who would want that. But there's a lot of people out there. There's, and there's going to be a lot of other people who just happen to really like that exact thing. So it's actually really easy to kind of do your exact thing on the internet because um, the Venn diagram basically automatically will have an overlap. Tim is talking about this Venn diagram that we've discussed pretty often throughout the season. On one side of the diagram is the work you want to create. On the other side, the stuff that others want to receive. If you can find the overlap, well, you can have a fulfilling career because you're doing the things you like and there's a market for it. The thing that Tim likes is writing his blog called Wait But Why. Wait But Why is like indescribably good, says the guy in your ears who, uh, who's trying to build a career based on, you know, the ability to describe things. But I just love this blog so much. I can't, I can't begin to tell you how great it is. The, the best compliment I can give is that Tim writes his articles and approaches his craft with the utmost integrity. Everyone has their own personal integrity and would like to bring that to their work. And sometimes that's an easy thing to do because, you know, you, you feel like, well, this integrity comes first. And if success would come second, if it doesn't succeed, then that's okay. A lot of times it's not okay if it doesn't succeed for your life or for whatever. And then uh, integrity might come second in those situations. Um, now, I, I think in my experience, I, that... That might actually be a mistake. It might, it might be a mistake with writing in particular to, um, to have integrity come after success as if they're potentially mutually exclusive. And the reason I've, you know, I've learned that um, because th this is the cool thing about the Internet. Basically, today, we all have the ability to find an audience directly for what we most want to create. Before the Internet, there were gatekeepers. For example, if you were a writer like Tim, you'd pitch articles to editors. Then the judge of the middle of the Venn diagram, you know, is whoever you're submitting it to. They're going to judge that. And the and the what people want circle of the Venn is going to be their particular audience. So then that is a real thing where what you want might simply in many cases just be wrong for the New Yorker, which means you, you've created a situation with no middle of the Venn diagram and you've you know lost your chances in the meantime. However, the Internet is different like a blog means that you're self-publishing so you're the judge of the middle you don't no one else is, has to pick you and the entire the entire internet world which is about half of human living humans is the other side of the vent 
So if you're trying to create a mainstream thing that's going to have 150 million uh, readers, yeah, you, you have to think really hard about what you know large, large groups of people like. But as a blogger, you're obviously not trying to do that. As a blogger, as a podcaster, a marketer, an engineer, really most of us are far better served in any role finding something specific about others that overlaps with what we want to create. It's that Venn diagram overlap all over again. And man, Tim has found that in spades. His site has millions of raving fans, which read his really long blog posts. I mean, thousands of words at a time. And they each contain all kinds of funny stick figures and graphs and metaphors that Tim creates. And some of the brightest minds in the world today, really even in history, are among his readers. For example, in 2015, Elon Musk reached out to Tim and asked him to write a series of articles about the various industries that Musk is transforming. Things like space exploration, solar energy, and and brain-machine interfaces. But let me tell you right now, this is not a story about things we can learn to build better blogs. There there are tons of those things already out there. Here, I I put together a list of a few of the best practices that came up on Google. And let's see how this stacks up against Wait But Why. Okay, here's one. Pick a single topic and become an expert in that topic. Yeah, Tim doesn't do that. Here's just a sample of the topics that Tim covers on his blog. Why it's hard to make good friends as you age. An exhaustive overview of artificial intelligence. The decision to get married or not. Religion for the non-religious. A history of Iraq. The Fermi paradox. A visual representation of your life in weeks. You get it. Or, or maybe you don't. Okay, moving on to some of the other uh, best practices here. Uh, to create a successful blog, make sure you always... Use a clear and descriptive name that audiences can understand. Target keywords to rank on search. Keep it short for distracted readers. Write on a regular basis. And write multiple times per week. Yeah, Tim doesn't do any of that. He writes when he wants, about what he wants, for as long as he wants. And despite tons of best practices in his niche, Tim is doing the work that he wants. Tim Urban, how dare you? <laughs> There's so many of us who basically like want to do what you're doing. <laughs> like, I want to get out of the rat race of creating mundane, basic, feels hollow type of content, whether I work for agencies or brands, or I launch like a Nikki little side blog. And, uh, and how dare you raise the bar as to what it means to create a good blog. So what do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry. Uh, <laughs> So, so the reason I want to say that is it's so weird to me. I mean, like the entire advice world for how to create a thriving blog treats the content like it's a container. You know, it's like, how often should you publish these containers? Should they be big containers or small ones? You know, and and then a lot of the advice also focuses on the distribution of those containers. And it rarely ventures into the insides of the container. But I feel like that's where that's where you live, right? Yeah, I mean, even just like at the beginning when, when you know, I, I started this with a business partner and we were talking to people about it and reading about, you know, just, and even my business partner uses this word because, um, you know, if you're thinking about like a business, you use the word content and, and it makes the content such like, um, okay, you got to fill it in with something and you got to hit the right keywords and you have to publish at the right times. And um, it, it really like, takes all the joy out of the concept of writing and takes all the art out of it. But that's not what we were going for. It's not what I wanted to do as a writer at all. Like it just, um, it would, it just, it just, it just kind of like sapped the fun and the creativity, uh, out of, um, whatever, whatever I was going to be doing. If I was just kind of trying to be, you know, 
you know, hitting, hitting the right, hitting the right headlines, hitting the right keywords, you know, the right length, the right times. Um, it was a rote task then. It was something that, you know, we could have hired a, a team of interns to put together. And uh, yeah, that's, that, that wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. Now, it, it's easy for anyone to shrug and say, well, that's kind of the cost of doing business. I don't know about you, but I've heard that phrase a few times in my career before. That, that's the cost of doing business. If you want to do the stuff that you love, inevitably, there's going to be some things you don't agree with that you have to do. So if you want to write for a living, well, you, you have to think about keyword optimization. You have to pick the ideal time and research it and adhere to all these other rules about publishing blog posts. And look, that stuff is probably helpful, but, but too often that stuff causes us to start with incremental things instead of fundamental things. For example, in Tim's world with blogging, there's so much time and attention paid to, say, ranking on search that people end up creating commodities. They start by wondering what will rank and then reverse engineer what they have to say about that topic. And so they wind up churning out more generic stuff. Or to get people to share their articles, they might use a service called Click to Tweet, which uses embeddable tweets that you can click once and it'll send out a tweet on your behalf. But Click to Tweet is the incremental stuff. Creating something worth tweeting, now that's fundamental. When you create anything for a living, it's so easy to agonize over being discoverable that you can forget the point is to be memorable. I don't want to pick on anyone, but, you know, like, I don't know, Tech Insider. I mean, if they stopped, well, you have Gizmodo and you have Engadget and you have 20 other things that are, you know, that, that can that can replace your your tech news. Um, and so I, I don't think that many people would be necessarily crushed. Well, um, if, if there's something that has, um, you know, I, I've read a couple of your you know things, Jay, and you, you have you have such a unique um, voice. You have such a sense of humor in your writing, and there's such a thanks, man. There's such a personality there talking to me that um, it that in those cases, like I feel like your readers would not be able to just Im immediately replace you with someone else who might be talking about a lot of the same things um, because there's a lot of there, there, there's something unique they're getting there. And I felt that's how I felt on this blog, this first blog. The blog he's referring to here is the one that he wrote before Wait But Why. It was a little side project, and that blog never took off in, in, in the way Wait But Why did. But it had, you know, maybe, I don't know, 500 or 1,000 regular readers. And what I what encouraged me about it wasn't the numbers, because the numbers weren't great. It was that those readers seemed to really, really like it. Like, you know, they, they, they commented in ways that made me think that they would email me sometimes. Um, and they got really sad when I stopped. And, you know, to me, I, I think it's it's a good sign if you know, if you, you know, one litmus test, you can ask if you're creating any kind of art or really any kind of business, any kind of thing for, for people is if, if I stopped today, would people be crushed? And that's a nice thought about if you stop writing, but in Tim's work, something often prevents him and, and thousands, if not millions of other people from even starting procrastination. It's often crippling. A few years ago, he wrote a post that wound up going viral called Why Procrastinators Procrastinate. It was such a runaway hit that Ted invited him to give a talk about it. And that talk now has over 21 million views. The core idea behind the blog post and the speech is to look at what goes on inside our brains when we procrastinate. See, each and every one of us have this rational decision maker at the controls steering our decisions. Also appearing in the brain is the instant gratification Get monkey. Oh, okay. 
and that little bastard is just constantly trying to wrestle control away from the rational decision maker. It's trying to make decisions for us. So the rational decision maker will make the rational decision to do something productive, but the monkey doesn't like that plan. So he actually takes the wheel and he says, actually, let's read the entire Wikipedia page of the Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding scandal, because I just remember that that happened. <laughs> then, then we're going to go over to the fridge. We're going to see if there's anything new in there since 10 minutes ago. After that, we're going to go on a YouTube spiral that starts with videos of Richard Feynman talking about magnets and ends much, much later with us watching interviews with Justin Bieber's mom. Now, the instant gratification monkey that Tim talks about is generally distracted by non-work things. You know, Wikipedia spirals and YouTube videos and grabbing a snack. He only cares about things that are easy and things that are fun. But I think this little nuisance has been enabled by the information age. He's followed us into work. You know, he's the reason that we glom onto every new trend and every new best practice because it's just so easy to follow the list. And it's so much fun to implement it, isn't it? It's just so satisfying. On the other hand, the rational decision maker, he wants to do what makes the most sense. And it's rarely sensible to just repeat what we did before without thinking critically. It's rarely sensible to just copy a competitor or follow someone else's list because that's generalized advice for our very specific situation. It makes much more sense to be doing things that are harder and less pleasant for the sake of the big picture. And that's when we have a conflict. This conflict isn't between you and your boss or you and a client or you and your budget or industry or peers. No, this conflict is internal. Writing a blog post? Well, you can hone your craft, you can research your topic and work tirelessly until you feel great about the piece, or you can use this fun little app that I found, this blog idea generator this company created. You can just punch in a bunch of keywords and out comes an endless list of exactly what you're supposed to write. That's the era we live in. The information age is amazing for the instant gratification monkey, not only for fun distractions and oh my god, how great is it for that, but also for work. Because we're surrounded by everyone else's ideas and answers. We can access all that stuff instantly. That is the easy path. That is instant gratification. And that simply won't lead you anywhere exceptional. What's better than putting a ton of work into something and then having lots and lots of people uh, absorb it, read it, and enjoy it? Um, and some hate it. But it, it's just you get lots of attention for your work, which is um, really, really, really gratifying. And I feel like very, very fortunate to have that because, as I said, I spent six years with a very small amount of attention for my work. And, 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 and on the side, I've also... Uh, you know, I was halfway through a musical um, when I started Wait, But Why that, you know, no one had basically heard other than my co-writer. And um, I, I did an album um, with a producer and a piano album. And, I and you know, a few thousand people bought it. You know, it, these things all like had a very small amount of of, uh, of success, which was nice. But uh, but it was always frustrating that nothing ever got over that hump. Um, and um, so I spent a lot of time. Not, not getting uh, uh, that much attention for my work. And it still can be gratifying, but, it, 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 you know, it's obviously you, you're, you're, you always wish it would, it would be getting a little bit more. And so now with this kind of maybe you could say this is like the sixth project, um, and this one is getting a lot of attention, and um, it validates a lot of what you do and what, why, what you, that you chose to do this with your time. And it also um, it motivates you hugely to make, you know, it makes me, <laughs> uh, it, it can sometimes 
you know, paralyzingly, you know, perfectionist about like, you know, really, really wanting to do high quality work because you know that it's going to be read by a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that that more people need to focus on based on what you just said is that you've had years of projects and writing like you've had a handful of readers give you feedback along the way and lots of that muscle memory built up. And, and, you know, certainly for me, unthinkable has been quote unquote live for like a year and a half for listeners. But for me, it's, it's been happening. It's been alive for 10 years. You know, right. it's like everything in my whole body of work prepared me to make this show. It's it's the sports journalism I did and the trips I went on as a kid that somehow influenced the way I think. And the comedy I'm obsessed with that maybe influences my tone of voice that you mentioned. It, it, it's just everything across a huge swath of time. And and so people can look at Wait But Why and completely ignore everything you did before and say basically like, wow, what an overnight success. When really it's not the one project from its inception that gets you to some kind of kink in the curve. It's the whole body of work. It's the measurement of everything you've ever done. It's, it's the consistent motion forward in your whole career. Absolutely. Like when, when I started Wait But Why... As I said, I was already six. I'd written three hundred blog posts already, so I, I had a voice that I knew was my voice already. I didn't have my old blog. I cringe reading the early stuff because I was finding my voice and I was trying different things. And I and I already knew I liked to draw stick figures, and I knew how to use them with writing. You know that, that stuff that I developed, you know, over a long period of time. But it's also like you said, a lot of the thoughts and ideas and and things that I. Uh, calculate to figure out. I had done those already. I, you know, these are things I talked about with my college friends and, you know, and, and I, you know, I talk about with my girlfriend or I think about, and, and, and over time, you know, you just, it's, so then it's just kind of like unpacking this suitcase. that already has a lot of stuff in it and starting to let, then like present those things as blog posts. So yeah, you, you are you know, definitely not starting from ground zero. And, um, and, and that's why I think it's also important that people who are like aspiring writers or whatever, when they look at the, the the blogs they like or the authors they like, they see their the, the, those people's work that is getting lots of attention, and they think that that's what they did. They, this person was good enough that when they started, or, or they were lucky enough that when they started, um, it just was it was in a different level, and and that's that's almost never how it happens. And so when that person is doing their version of my early blog, it, it feels like well, this is um, this can't this is obviously not my thing's not working, but they don't realize that that, that is, an, that is step one of the staircase for everyone. They're just on step one of the staircase. And when they have 30 readers, cool, you're on step four of the staircase. And the people that you're reading and you're admiring, they're on step 20 of the staircase, uh, but they were, they were, they were on step four also. So just like it, do step four, then get, then get, try to get to step five. The instant gratification monkey wants to go from step one to 10 right away. If not, it's too hard. Let's just ship the thing we always ship and go chase a distraction up a tree for fun. Or maybe we should listen to that other guy. The rational decision maker who gives us the ability to do things no other animal can do. We can visualize the future. We can see the big picture. We can make long-term plans. And he wants to take all of that into account. And he wants to just have us do whatever makes sense to be doing right now. So now we face a decision. We all admit we don't aspire to do average work. So now we have to prove it. The, 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 the why game that kids play is what I think we'd all benefit from just basically saying, um, why do I think this actually? Or why is the world like this? And then you realize the world is like this, or society believes this because of something that happened in 1860. It doesn't apply anymore. It's, which is crazy. I know, I know. And, and it does today when you get older because you've layered on so much conventional thinking and your kind of person or brain is just sort of like 
hardening as you get older. It's this constant battle to keep it loose and flexible. Right. Your brain is not wired but, to stay flexible. Right, right. Yeah, that's why I like side projects, because it kind of treats your brain like silly putty. It's like, ah, this isn't really directly applicable. I'm not, you know, I'm not researching my job, but it sort of stretches my brain to the left. And when I release it, it'll pull back to center, but it'll maybe have the ability to pull back in that direction if I need to. Right. But so the weight part, ironically, is maybe even I mean, you have to stop. You have to step back. When you're a kid, it's just why, 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 why? But when you're an adult, you have to be like, hold on, wait a second. Right. You know, let's t- take a step back here and ask why. And when we talk about intuition on the show, I don't know if you know this, but intuition comes from a Latin root called intuir. I actually learned this through a brain pickings post, which means knowledge from within. But I think all intuition is, is trying to ask the right questions of your current context and you pull out your own answers from within. And I think in the information age, when you can subscribe to blogs and podcasts and get answers from gurus and experts and more and more pour out of the woodwork every day, you kind of stop asking those fundamental questions and you stop trying to think for yourself because you can just follow some list as one example. And so wait, but why to me is is like stop and ask. Absolutely. And, and that applies to, you know, creative work. It also applies to the life path you're on. Uh, it applies to your routines and a bunch of things that a lot of people, you know, they always say all oh, in their deathbed they regret because in deathbed you have clarity for sure. And the, the, I think a big goal in life should be to get that clarity earlier than your deathbed so you can actually do something about those things before they become regrets. And um and live your best life and live the life that makes sense for you. And that, uh, that definitely requires – so people just assume that they kind of have a handle on that. But if you, if you do the why game with yourself, you realize a lot of what you assume is the best life for you actually is someone else told you to do. And if you really think hard about it, you realize that you humble up and you realize you're not sure what the best life is. And you have, to, you have a lot of thinking and soul searching to do. And that feels really bad at the time. But it can, it, it, it can save you from deathbed regrets. Tim has heard a ton of people's deathbed regrets. After writing that initial article, he said that thousands of people reached out in the comments and over email to tell him all about why procrastination was, was crippling to their lives. Their inability to do the hard thing instead of the easy thing, the instant gratification, was derailing everything they wanted out of their careers. That's the battle within. The key to doing exceptional work isn't to get permission from your boss or more budget or more time. And it's certainly not to find some expert's hack, cheat, or secret. No, it's to win that battle within. That's the difference between doing something exceptional or some commodity junk. Between building a career full of meaning or a life of regret. I I basically, I I overcame myself. I I, I, I won the battle against myself. Which honestly, I think is probably in 80% of people who want to be, not maybe 80, because everyone has their own issues, but a huge percentage of people who want to be doing something kind of in the arts or creative or something, you know, creating their own career. The, ba- the biggest battles are against yourself. So for, for me, it was procrastination. I had to, and I think a lot of people have this. They, they know they could do something good if they would just do it, right? And they could write that great book if they would just write a few pages a day and get it done. They just always put it off. Every year, I'll do it next year. So that's one battle against yourself. Another one is against, uh, what, I, what I write about is your, your mammoth, but it's against the part of you that, that is paralyzed by what other people think of you. And for me, I, 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 that because I felt... I think because the other blog started with no pressure at all, I was able to kind of develop this voice that then I realized by the time I did have pressure and I cared about it, I already had the confidence that that was writing that people might like. So for me, this wasn't as much of an issue. But for a lot of people, it's it's the confidence to overcome that social fear and just write 
your thing or sing your heart out, you know, the way you really would, or just, or just, you know, write, write, you know, I think a lot of writers struggle to put their own personality into their writing and they, 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 they feel like, well, no one wants that, you know? And, and, and I think that, um, that's often a big mistake to, to leave it out. And I think a lot of times that's a battle against yourself too, is that, you know, somewhere in you, you don't think that, you know, you, the writer in your personality is worthy of these people's time, just the content itself. Um, and I think that that's another battle against yourself. So, so is that, I mean, is that what you're most proud of when it comes to this project? You know, you have all the attention and all the readership and all the praise, but it seems like this is something a lot more, uh, I don't know, personal, right? Honestly, for me, because I have, I mean, people don't take procrastination as seriously as they take a lot of other things, addictions or something like depression or obesity. But the truth is it, it, it really ruins lives. It really like it can it can ruin lives. It can make it can ruin someone's family life. It can ruin someone's work life. It can make someone deeply unhappy and regretful um, in the long run. And it also can ruin someone's health in the short run when they're pulling all nighters and whatever. So I think it's a and, and I and I learned to take this issue seriously when I wrote about it and realized how many other people also were affected by it and how many really were actually affected by it worse than even I was. And so um, for me, it, it's more I'm proud of myself for not letting procrastination. Uh, ruin this project um, because it's ruined a lot of other projects for me and a lot of things that never got off the ground in the first place. Is there something you love more about this process than, than others that got you to that place? I really don't like the process very much. I, <laughs> I, um, I love finishing a blog post. I love, I love starting one and brainstorming. Uh, I like that part. Um, if I'm in a certain really, really good creative flow, I like writing, but much of the time writing is like, I'm writing, a, it's like writing a research paper in college, you know, or whatever. It's like, I'm like doing homework. Outlining is a nightmare, which is like the big step in between the brainstorm research and the writing. And drawing is usually a slog. I don't like drawing very much either. It's very hard. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Wait, hold on a second. Hold on. All these things that I'm saying on my show are that people who kind of nod vigorously when they hear creative advice, it's like, love the process. You're going to go through all these steps. You're on step four. You got to love the process. You're saying you don't love the process. Actually, my old blog, I liked more because I, there was no pressure and, and it, it was much less complicated, much less involved. And I knew if I got a fact wrong, no one would really care or someone here. If I, if I get something wrong, uh, I'm going to have 30 people in the comments, experts, 30 experts in the comments saying like, you know, you're an idiot and you, you people shouldn't listen to you. And, and then like you lose credibility. So, so first of all, that, that, that's a little more stressful, but also they're just such long things that it's like, um, Again, there's moments of pure joy and there's moments of for finishing a post is such euphoria that it makes the whole thing worth it. So I love my job and I also love what comes along with it. I get to meet really interesting people and I get to learn professionally. I love learning. I'm extremely curious, which is why the research phase I love because I basically just spend some time learning or some time thinking. I like that process a lot. But, but then, then it gets hard because then you have to take this pile of thoughts. And if you just start typing that out, you're going to have a really boring product. Now it's like, how do I, it's like, a, you have to be an architect and all you have is a pile of metal and, and wood and nails. Like what, what's the design for this house? And for me, that, that, that part is just so you can go any direction. So there's no right answer, which is kind of torturous. And, and it never comes right away. Like I always start outlining and I put a bunch of things in different buckets. I make categories of top and I just look at it and, and I always think it's bad at that point. I always think that this is not the right topic. This is not going to be, you know, this, See, is, this is one hell of an internal battle going on right here. But but that's what it takes. 
And then after, you know, a lot of work there, something will usually click and I'll start to, and then I'll, then I'll have a moment of excitement. I'll say, okay, oh, wait, 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 this is going to be good. If I just do this and this and this, and I tell it as a story like that. Oh, okay. And then I get really excited. Then I go start writing and then I open a blank document or a blank, you know, whatever WordPress thing. And it's the, you know, dreaded blank screen with the blinking cursor that I used to hate in school. I'm like, there I am. I haven't written one word yet. Here's this empty thing. So that's not fun. Um, and then, again, unless I'm in a very certain mood, then writing can be a joy because I can suddenly get like this. It's almost like being high on something to have this kind of flow. And I'm sure that other you know, creative people have, have experienced this. It's, uh, you know, the, the, this moment when you're these moments when you when you start to get excited about it and the excitement overpowers everything else in your life. You, you don't care about food right then. You don't care about seeing anyone. You, you, you just you're just so excited to be writing this. And you're so excited to put it out in the world. So I have some of those moments and then I hit a snag. The flow evaporates, and I'm back in misery here, looking and saying, "Wait a second, this doesn't work. Oh God, this, this, this whole thing I just wrote doesn't shouldn't be in this section. It doesn't make sense here. It's going to be redundant with what I say later. Misery, misery. And now I have to go and either delete what I just did. The battle just, you know, within. Do the doesn't matter how big or small the project, how senior, junior. Then I start drawing. Oh. Oh, okay. I'm a terrible artist. <laughs> if I have to do something like, oh, let me do a background to this thing. Let me do like a tree and like a bench that they're going to be sitting on. Uh, that'll take me an hour and a half. And I'll do 10 benches and they all look ridiculous. So, it's, it, and, and you know, my hand is tired. I put the pen down and I'm shaking my hand out. So, uh, I, again, I have moments with drawing when I do a little, a really funny expression. And then I laugh and I'm thrilled with how that looks. I, I, I got the frown just right. <laughs> no, of course, those are fun moments. But, 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 but none of this is... Um, there's different kinds of misery and this is kind of like it, it feels this is still misery that somehow feels good and that it's like I'm doing hard work but it's good work and it's important work as opposed to kind of like misery I felt you know when I was working on my company uh, before this and I wished I had been doing something creative that's instead of just this micro misery in that moment that's kind of a macro misery about everything I'm doing and that to me is is I'll take this misery over that misery any day and so that that's kind of the way I look at it is um it's hard, but, it, you know, yeah, you know, it's like it's a little no pain, no gain thing. Like if you want to get in good shape, you have to go to the gym and going to the gym is going to hurt. Like and so I feel like if this post is going to be good, it's going to it's like birthing out a baby. I feel like I'm on my back birthing out a baby. I'm sure all the women listening to this want to, are thinking, <laughs> yeah, that's, you should experience having an actual baby. But um, but yeah, and then and, and then and then the thing is putting it all out. It's almost like all of the, it's like if every misery uh, moment is like a penny or like a nickel of misery that like goes in. It's like all that cash comes back, like pours back down in your head in the form of like euphoria and gratification and like satisfaction when the post comes out. And I know that I'm just putting those, that money is going to come back to me in a way. So it's like, that also makes it tolerable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then by the way, I, I want to clarify there. You don't mean actual money. It may be a little bit, but you don't mean the euphoria in the form of revenue. Do you? Oh, no, no, no money yeah. at all. No, 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 no. Sorry. Yeah. I meant a metaphor. Like it's like um, you're putting your, you know, uh, every drop of misery, you can look at liquid and every drop of misery goes into a bucket and then that whole bucket pours on your head in the form of satisfaction and gratification and just the, you know, relief um, once you're done and people are reading it and, you, you know, you're getting comments on it, you're getting emails about it and you're proud of it because I spent, you know, so much time on it that I'm excited people are reading this final product now mm. After, and, 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 you know, all the doubt that you felt, you know, it all feels 
good now. So to me, it's just you're putting the, the misery drops in a bucket that's going to come back on you in a, in a good. Yeah, and the, and the misery drops, by the way, it's not you're not pouring misery on yourself. They like sit in the bucket and they ferment into something, exactly. some kind of amazing form of alcohol. It's like making wine, exactly. and at the end, you get like drunk on euphoria. Right. Totally. I mean, if you think about, it, there's a lot of things like this. How about um a wedding? People spend a year planning a wedding and. There's so many bad moments, misery, fights, stress, you know, anxiety, and just, you know, you're, you're calling all these vendors and you're just, and it's, but then it, it's all of that pours back down on your head the wedding weekend, hopefully. Um, and, um, and then you have this like euphoria that made it all worth it. And then afterwards you get to always like look just like a post lasts forever. Well, your wedding memories last forever. You get to remember how, how good it was forever. So it's, to me, it's just like that. And no one, when they're doing their wedding says, well, let's not do it because of the misery. You, you know, it's worth it. And that's how I feel about a post. You know, it's like, why did wait but why work? Well, because this guy won a couple big battles against himself in a lot of ways. That's I think a lot of the explanation. So how do we do that? How do we prevent our own instant gratification monkeys from leading to worse work or even no work at all that we're proud of? Well, rather than think about the huge arc of an entire career, let's just zoom in a little to start. In his speech, Tim describes something in our brains that can help us defeat that monkey as a deadline approaches. Well, turns out that the procrastinator has a guardian angel, someone who's always looking down on him and watching over him in his darkest moments someone called the panic monster. (laughs) Now, the panic monster is dormant most of the time, but he suddenly wakes up. Anytime a deadline gets too close or there's danger of public embarrassment, a career disaster, or some other scary consequence. And importantly, he's the only thing that the monkey is terrified of. Now, he became very relevant in my life pretty recently, because the people of TED reached out to me about six months ago and invited me to do a TED Talk. (laughs) Now, of course, I said yes. It's always been a dream of mine to have done a TED Talk in the past. (laughs) Well, Tim can now say that, so congrats to Tim. Uh, He can also say that, you know, from experience, this panic monster is a really useful thing when your project deadline approaches. But the problem is that the panic monster often doesn't wake up at all for things that lack a deadline, and most important things in life don't really have deadlines. They're long, drawn-out things like finding our best career path, or improving our skills or life, or, or caring about our health. Those things don't have a calendar notification that sets off the panic monster, and even if they did, let's be honest, we just push it back. So this explains why so many people told Tim all about their emotional troubles with procrastination. It's not that they're cramming for some project. It's that long-term procrastination has made them feel like a spectator at times in their own lives. You know, the frustration was not that they couldn't achieve their dreams. It's that they weren't even able to start chasing them. So how do we win the battle within? We need to wake up that panic monster for the big stuff. Not so he's constantly awake and out of control, but under our control. You know, an on-demand kind of solution when we need him, when we feel the monkey starting to take over and we start eyeing that list of cheats and hacks or that lazy approach that we've done before. Just remember, everything we do has a deadline. Even if it's not on your calendar, eventually your career has a final deadline and really, so do we. So that promotes a slight sense of panic, at least a little bit, a little bit of urgency that we can actually use proactively to get creating. So we better start trying to do our best work right now. 
if we don't, we might never. If I don't produce this podcast to sound the way it does, I might invest this time that I'll never get back into, I don't know, a forgettable commodity show. If Tim doesn't write long pieces with funny cartoons about topics that he loves, he may look back someday with tons of regrets. If you don't do that thing that you've been thinking about and burning to create, that side project, that new company, that new attempt at something inside your business, that job building your career in a new direction, well, if you don't do any of that, you might come to regret it too, because everything has a deadline. Best practices offer some kind of instant gratification, but they hold us back from doing our best work. No matter how smart they sound, they leave out crucial variables present in each of our own unique situations, the current moment, your specific customers and resources, and of course, you. So you need to add back you. It's my fiercest belief that we all have what it takes to create exceptional work, but we have to find and follow what makes us an exception. And it's there that we face the battle within, because no one else is telling us to do it that way. It's all on us. So that monkey becomes such a nuisance, such a problem, because in this era of instant information everywhere, it has never been easier to be average. Want to learn to write as exceptionally as Tim does? Well, you can get 16 tips from the top result on Google and 17 from the second. There's an ultimate guide to blogging listed over here and a complete guide to blogging over there. And yeah, I'm actually looking at some real Google search results here to do this voiceover. Don't believe me? Well, here's a list of 40 blogging tips from FreshSparks and 100 tips from HubSpot. Yes, that's right, 100 tips in one blog post, all to get you blogging better. There are a hundred podcasts about blogging and 6,000 books about it on Amazon. So how often should we publish our posts? How long should they be? And what tools should we use? And how do you grow it and optimize it and promote it? And oh, by the way, this is all just for one tiny project we might want to do at some point in our entire careers. Now, hold on a sec. There's an expert here saying blogging is dead. No, wait a sec, this other guy is saying writing is dead. Well, somebody should have told all these writers because now apparently it's the visual web. Wait, it's all about gamification. Hold on, here comes the social web and now podcasting. It's the era of video. Don't forget about experiences, Snapchat, Instagram stories, stories everywhere, TikTok, Clubhouse, and you're supposed to care. AR, VR, ML, AI, enough. Enough. Endless trends and best practices that are all just spokes on a wheel. First one is on top, then another, and on and on this wheel spins. But nobody has ever best practiced their way to doing anything exceptional. So look, I'm not saying reject all best practices. I'm not even saying ignore the trends. What I am saying in this world of infinite advice, infinite possibilities, is maybe the most important skill we need to learn to develop is how to vet all that information. Instead of blindly following the person with the most followers or the precedent, all these things that we're supposed to do, that we're told you should do or have to do, they're just possibilities, potential places to start. As for what you should do, well, the answer is always, it depends. It depends on you and your situation. Finding best practices is not the goal. Finding the best approach for you is. Yes, it's never been easier to be average. And if you'd like to be average, follow the best practice. But if you want to be exceptional, craft your own. 
Thank you so much for listening to this re-aired episode of Unthinkable. Like all episodes, this one was written, hosted, and produced by me, Jay Akunzo. I am hard at work with some other people collaborating and making my show consistent again. Um, I'm super excited. I keep getting questions about what happened to the show, and I can't wait to bring it back consistently. I'm back in two weeks with another re-aired episode as we get the wheels turning again on the show, revisiting some older episodes that still fit our new theme, the stories of idea explorers can't wait to keep going it's just i feel at home again i really do and and thank you for supporting this project of mine It, it means the world to me i literally couldn't do what i do without you all right back in two weeks until then keep making what matters bye bye